Hey, and welcome back to Prognosis Ohio, an Ohio health and healthcare podcast affiliated with WCBE. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. In the politics of healthcare and the policy that shapes it, physicians have an interesting vantage point. On the one hand, they often have a lot to contribute purely based on their experience, especially from their interactions with patients. On the other, physicians often see the good, the bad, and the ugly of how our broader healthcare system works and are keenly aware of how that system impacts their ability to do their jobs and to provide care to their patients. At the same time, they are, as you'd expect, also just people with health needs of their own and often navigating a myriad of challenges to help meet their family's healthcare needs as well. This is the third installment of our candidate series, in which we talk with interesting candidates running for office around Ohio this fall, marching forward to the upcoming election on November 3rd, 2020, with early voting beginning in Ohio on Tuesday, October 6th. If you aren't registered, aren't sure, or have moved and don't know what that might mean for you, we'll be including links to help you in our show notes at wcbe.org and prognosisohio.com. On this week's episode, we talk with Dr. Rachel Morocco, who's running against Representative Chris Jordan in the 67th House District, which includes Lewis Center, Delaware, and Powell. As always, before turning to my conversation with Dr. Morocco, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and consider following us on Twitter and other social media. If you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Also, check out our new website at prognosisohio.com, where you'll find an archive of episodes and show notes, links to social media, show production information, and more. Again, that's at prognosisohio.com. And while you're checking out the new website, consider becoming a Prognosis Ohio patron for just $3 a month. Pretty soon, we're hoping to expand the show to include live events, virtual or not, but also to expand the scope and the quality of the podcast and the radio segments we pull from them to air on WCBE. All this takes a lot of work packed into weekends. We'll use any resources we bring in to make the show better, to reach further, and to improve the quality. Visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio to chip in $3 a month and become a Prognosis Ohio Patreon. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Dr. Rachel Morocco is running for state representative in District 67 in western Delaware County. She's a physician at Nationwide Children's Hospital and a professor at The Ohio State University who lives in Lewis Center with her husband and two young sons. She bills herself as a hardworking, practical, get-it-done professional who knows how to work with people who bring different beliefs and backgrounds to the table. As you'll hear in our discussion, Dr. Morocco draws on a wide range of experience that serve as the basis for her platform in the area of health and healthcare. I also want to mention, as I do before all of these candidate interviews, that I have attempted to contact Representative Chris Jordan's office to have the representative on the show. We haven't heard back from them, but the invitation stands. If anybody from Rep. Jordan's office is listening, please get in touch at prognosisohio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, now to my conversation with Dr. Rachel Morocco, running for state representative in the 67th House District. Dr. Rachel Morocco, thanks so much for taking some time to be on the show. Thank you for having me. So you are running against Representative Chris Jordan in the 67th House District. And I always have to look these things up just to make sure I know exactly where the boundaries are. Um, I notice that Lewis Center and Delaware and Powell are in those areas. It strikes me that you know, if you're successful in November, we might be on our way to having something of an all-physician corridor north of the 270 loop. <laughs> Uh, since the 67th district abuts the 21st, where Dr. Beth Liston, uh, which which she currently represents. So have you thought about this? I mean, what do you think this suggests that physicians are running 
in the area for um, positions like state representative? You know, I think it just suggests that we we fight, we see the need. We see the need for um, the bringing back science and bringing back logic and you know evidence based decisions into the state house because what we've seen over the last couple years is just a real disregard for for logic and for for science by some of the things that we've seen um, introduced, some of the bills that have been introduced. So I think we're just frustrated and. When I, you know, when you look at Beth Liston or Dr. Beth Liston, what she's done, um, it's really remarkable that, you know, thinking of a physician running. And I think she has definitely motivated many others to to join in and to realize, you know, our voices are really important. And we have a lot of unique experiences that we can bring to the table to really help draw up these policies that are going to really positively impact Ohioans. So this is not a slow coup of Ohio State Medical College. <laughs> no. no. No, <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so in that vein, and something that I, I'm really interested in um, as a medical educator um, myself is the nexus of being a physician and a legislator. And you know, I work with a lot of physicians. I teach future physicians at, at an osteopathic medical school. And I, I noticed that you're a DO as well, not from Ohio University, but from the one to the north. <laughs> you know, very few students, though, and, and really uh, colleagues, I, I should say, clinical colleagues are interested or tend to be interested in the policy side of things, even though many of them have a lot of grievances. <laughs> There's a lot to complain about with the effects of certain policies. So I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about how your experience as a physician links up to the policy side. I mean, I know you, you're going to the state house if you're elected to do much more than health care, but... How do you think about the relationship between those pieces? You know, for me, you know, I, I was never someone who thought I'd run for office. Like, even if you would have told me five years ago that I'd be running, I probably would have laughed at you. Like, I never had any, um, you know, goals to be in the state house. I never even honestly paid all that much attention to it. But I think as I went into, I mean, I'm a primary care physician, I'm a pediatrician, and I see a lot of people every single day. And I see these families that I get to know and I get to, um, you know, it, have some insight into their lives. And what I was seeing was the same problems that were repeating themselves. And these were issues with not only healthcare, um, which of course is a big concern, but also things like issues with education and issues with access to like mental health services, affordable childcare, you know, jobs that paid them enough to support their families. And these were just issues I kept seeing again and again. And I was just more just frustrated because I was, there's only so much I could do. I, as a physician, I could definitely, you know, impact their, their health, but I couldn't always change what these problems were or solve these problems. So that's how I got involved basically is I started just looking for ways to how I can be an advocate and how I can do more to help my families that I, that I work for. And um, I've started volunteering with a group called Moms Demand Action, which is a gun violence prevention program. And I just started spending time in the state house, and I just got a chance to see what was really being addressed, what policies are being addressed, what what bills are being introduced, and I just wasn't really happy with it. I wasn't, I didn't feel like it reflected what was truly needed in Ohio, and so that's when I started thinking maybe it was time for me to kind of to jump in and see, you know, to take my experiences and just the real world lives and experiences that I see every single day and and try to make a difference for these people. Well, I mean, this time for you to decide to run, I mean, it's not like, you know, 
everybody wonders when is the right time to do certain things. And sometimes the answer is there's no good time. I mean, you have young children. It's right. not like your life got simpler and you no. decided to do this. So uh, you, you clearly are doing it because you think you have something to bring to the table. Right, right. On your website, um, looking at your platform a little bit, you, you identify you know, a few different areas. And I thought we might kind of just talk through them. There are Mm -hmm. three areas specifically on there. Um, And I also just note, you know, um, as a political scientist interested in messaging, you know, healthcare is the first uh, item on your platform. So it must signal something. Right. (laughs) Yes. Um, So expanding healthcare coverage, um, you know, there's a big conversation going on about single payer or Medicare for all like approaches. There is the kind of call it for uh, lack of a better term, the Biden approach, which is building on the legacy of the Affordable Care Act. Right. What kind of issues are important to you there? How do you think about it? And keeping in mind, you're a pediatrician and kids in Ohio are really dependent on Medicaid uh, in a big way. So that's got to be part of the conversation as well. Yes. So, I mean, especially where I work and on my clinics that I work, um, we largely serve a Medicaid population. So expanding Medicaid is really important to me. Um, and something that I think really is a focus. I've seen a lot of kids over the last several years who have lost their insurance. Um, and I have, think I have some statistics on there, but um, I think it's been um, close to, I think 30,000 kids were lost due to enrollment issues. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely a concern for me. Um, I think the other thing when you would talk about expanding Medicaid is addressing people who are no longer kids, but in their early adult years, like their 20s and 30s, who oftentimes don't have health insurance. And these, this is a really important age to catch people because this is a time we can do a lot of preventative medicine and we can catch the early signs of things like diabetes and high blood pressure so that when they show back up in, you know, a doctor's office when they're 40, 50 years old and, you know, they are uncontrolled, we, we could have prevented some of this. Yeah. And for listeners, I'll just mention, these are the so-called young invincibles, right? Yes. These, you know, young adults, um, older children, however you want to talk mm-hmm. about them, and then into their 20s and even 30s, you just can't imagine being sick. They right. are, you know, feeling good, um, having fun. And as you, I like the way you reframe that, not just in terms of the likelihood that they will get sick or not, but in terms of creating good habits or thinking about prevention. Mm -hmm. And so making sure we're catching them and making sure we're reinforcing the importance of, you know, taking care of yourself, even when you're 25 and you seem very healthy, but making sure you are seeing a physician. Um, And also right now, I think with Medicaid, the fact that the unemployment rates are, are rising due to COVID, you know, a lot of people have their healthcare tied to their employment. And so if they're losing their job, they don't have healthcare. And so they, we need to make sure we're supporting these people who are without healthcare and finding a way to keep them healthy and taken care of while they're searching for, you know, new employment or healthcare. And of course, you're running at a time when unemployment is spiking. So yes. if you are, you know, able to take office in January, mm-hmm. um, the the fallout, I mean, hopefully it'll be fallout by that point. Hopefully we won't be in the middle of a spike or a surge right. with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But certainly right now, that decision to link healthcare to employment is is coming back to haunt us. Right. Absolutely. So I think it's just really important to make sure we're focused on those issues. Um, 
as far as, you know, expanding coverage for everybody, because it is healthcare is not, I mean, it, it's not a right. It's a, it's a, it's a privilege. I, or no, I'm sorry. It's not a privilege. It's a right. Everyone should have access to healthcare. It is not something that just the, the rich should have. Everybody should have it. And we should be able to, you know, treat everyone in a, you know, a, appropriate way, no matter what your income is or where you live. I, like many um, folks working in healthcare and acad- the academic side and research side, spent a lot of 2019 focusing on opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, here in Ohio, obviously, we have a special place because um, Ohio was one of the, the centers um, for the, the highest levels in the country. Um, you identify this as an important issue, too. It's funny because, you know, with COVID-19, I think we have only started to realize the ways in which opioid addiction may have been simmering and spiking itself during these times. So why, why do you call out this issue um, specifically as something of concern? For me, it's important because I see a lot of kids who are impacted by this, a lot of kids who are put in foster care, who have, have lost their parents parents to opioids. And so this is something that has stood out for me in, in just kind of the issues that I see. And I know it's kind of been kind of put to the back burner, I think, a lot because of, you know, the current public health crisis that we're going through right now. Um, but it really is a big issue. And we really need to take measures to not only treat, um, we need to prevent, and then also to help with long-term outcomes, because that's important as well. So what do you think can happen on the state level? What, what do you think legislators can do to actually push that along? I think a lot of it, well, there's a lot of ways we can do. One thing we can do is helping with education of physicians to do more like um, non-opioid pain management can definitely help with that. Um, But also improving our treatment centers, um, making making more resources available for these centers and expanding them and also expanding the um, kind of long-term follow-up because I feel that this is a struggle that they will face their whole lives. So working to make sure that we are helping these people even five years after they have, you know, been treated to make sure that they're not going to relapse. Um, I think a lot of it comes from the community level as well, because every community is different and every local government has different needs. So, you know, making some kind of task force, something available to areas that are the hardest hit to really address the needs of each individual community. So we know where we can kind of spread our resources to. So many of our listeners, just because of the world I operate in, uh, come out of the osteopathic world as well. So mm-hmm. they're, they're going to give me a hard time if I don't ask you, is there anything specifically osteopathic? I know this is a little bit in the weeds for some of our listeners, but that uh, you think about with regard to opioid addiction. And you probably know that some DOs talk about a special kind of role that they might have with regard to osteopathic treatments. Is that something you've thought about? Yeah. I mean, there's all, I mean, all kinds of um, alternative medications can be used um, to, or alternative therapies can be used when it comes to treatment. So not just like, you know, manipulation, things like acupuncture and, you know, massage therapy and all kinds of ways that we can use to address the actual issue of pain versus just giving medication. But definitely, I think, I think osteopathic medicine plays a role in it. I mean, there's definitely some, lots of techniques they can do that can definitely help with pain management. The third issue that you call out on, on your website and your platform is around mental health services and mm-hmm. education. So I wanted to talk about that for a minute. I mean, obviously, 
the Affordable Care Act um, signaled this as a big issue and tried to create parity. Even before the Affordable Care Act, we'd started to talk about parity uh, for physical health services and mental health services. Where do you think the state is? Um, which parts of these uh, most kind of, you know, get you going? And when you think about what you could do as a legislature, as a legislator, the, I'm not sure exactly where the state is on this. I mean, I think we are, there definitely is a concern. I mean, Governor DeWine has definitely made points saying how important it is for him to address mental health issues and especially in children. Um, so I do think that this is definitely something that is on the radar for many people in the state house. Um, but I do think one of the biggest concerns is how the rates of suicide that we're seeing. And, you know, in the last over a 10 year period, suicides increased by almost 50% in Ohio. And that's an alarming number. And that is definitely a sign that we are not doing enough to really address the true mental health issues that we're seeing. And I think a lot of it starts in school-age children. So, you know, with wraparound services and providing more mental health resources to our schools and our early education centers, um, I really think that can impact and, and catch a lot of, of kids who are showing signs of mental illness and get them in, in treatment. And then also it goes along again with expanding healthcare and making sure that everyone, you know, even the 20s and 30-year-olds, they have access to mental health services because oftentimes it's hard to get to if you don't have health insurance. So really making sure it's available for everybody who needs it and, and destigmatizing it. I mean, mental health is not something that you should be ashamed of. It's a, something that you address and work through and work for treatment because it is something that happens to many, many Americans and is something that is a very important issue that we need to address. And of course, we see investments around this. The question is how much and also the distribution of resources. Um, there are some areas that have a lot of resources, like where you work. Mm -hmm. um, one of the places you work, Nationwide Children's yes. Hospital, is investing huge with mm -hmm. partners in behavioral and mental health. Uh, but there are deserts in parts of exactly. Ohio where mm -hmm. um, you'd be very hard pressed to find addiction services help or mental health supports. Exactly. And that's that's definitely a, a big problem is making sure that everyone everywhere in Ohio has access to mental health resources. I, I want to ask you kind of generally, um, what are some of the moments or events um, that really shaped how you think about healthcare? I mean, I know you probably have a lot of them as a clinician. You're also a parent and you know, uh, and you also just live in this world and healthcare since the Affordable Care Act and even before has been one of the biggest policy discussions out there just kind of in the world. Right. But what do you look back to when you think about, you know, that really, that really changed how I think about this? So my, my oldest son, Dominic, is autistic and he was uh, diagnosed when he was five. And we, we really struggled actually through the healthcare system to get him diagnosed and to get him in therapy and to find ways that we could get affordable speech therapy. Um, when he was younger, we really had a hard time. I had to fight many times to try to get like services covered or even to get him you know, to get the criteria for services like speech therapy and occupational therapy. So this was a completely eye-opening experience for me that, you know, being on the other side, being a parent who was trying to navigate their way through the system. And I'm someone who knows the system, which so right. even for me, it was really difficult. He was evaluated multiple times for autism, like results were inconclusive. Um, still to this day, his insurance company still will never cover any of his speech therapy because it doesn't meet the criteria for their reimbursement policies. So it's just, it's, was overwhelming that 
this is what parents are going through to get help for their children. This is what, you know, adults are going through to get the services they need. It's just very overwhelming. And it really changed my perspective, you know, to kind of join in the other side to see what it was like and to realize that we really do have a problem and we really need to work to improve our healthcare in not only the state, but in our country, because this is, it's, it's a lot. And it was very stressful. It's one of the things that I just think is absolutely bananas about our healthcare system is that I talk with people like you who have, you know, you have all the fancy degrees and all the training and not just fancy degrees, but in medicine and healthcare, mm-hmm. you're a healthcare professional and navigating the system is often no easier for healthcare yeah. professionals. And sometimes it's actually more difficult, I've noticed, because kind of, you know, there, there's this way in which you you think you know the system. And it's surprising that you come up against the same problems that just, mm-hmm. you know, non-clinicians or non-professionals will come up against. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's, very, it's very frustrating. So as you talk with folks and, you know, as I, I'm doing these discussions with candidates, people running for office in, in the central Ohio and Ohio, um, you know, more generally, um, you know, it, it, there's the kind of one of the elephants in the room is just that you're running a campaign, and in your case, your first campaign during a really weird time. <laughs> you can't just go knocking on doors, and you hear these stories where some of the candidates who won races that they weren't supposed to win won because they were able to go knocking on lots of doors and shaking lots of hands. We're not shaking hands right now. No. And if somebody came to my door to talk to me, I'd be like, well, "What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what, but I know you're doing forums and you're talking with folks. So what kind of things are you hearing? I'm, I'm guessing they link up to your platform, but what kinds of things have you heard that kind of uh, got inside of you a little bit, you know, to think about, well, th- this is what's on the mind of people in the 67th district. I think education is a big thing on the mind of many people in my district. We, in one of our um, school systems, Olentangy, we, they just passed a new levy. So we there's a lot of frustration around the rising property taxes to cover the cost of education and just the way the schools are funded. Um, that's definitely a big issue and something that you know I've been paying a lot of more attention to. Um, but definitely uh, education is Kind of, especially right now, given everything that's going on with the pandemic, but even before this, um, you know, funding our schools adequately um, and fairly is really an important issue to many people in my district. And also these issues, you know, education, this is one of the lessons of COVID. You know, you want to put education policy and say, oh, that's the school board over there. The school board right now is doing public health and pretty much only public health. I mean, they're right. trying to figure out how to deliver curriculum. Right. But really, they're taking their cues from the public health departments because that's that's where health is playing out. So you can't even right. separate those things in a way. No. And it's I think it shows, you know, it's it's a tough time. I mean, we show how overly reliant parents are on, on um, school as, as child care. And there's not many other options that are accessible or affordable. And this really can impact people's ability to work right now. And that's a huge stress for many families. And it just, I think a lot of this pandemic has just shown a lot of cracks in our, in our infrastructure of our, of our systems that we just need to really address. Yeah. And, you know, one of the recent episodes I did was with Tyler Buchanan from the Ohio Capital Journal, a journalist who was right doing some research, talking with teachers. And one of the things he heard from a few of them was just the disrespect of treating educators uh, as babysitters right. you know, and really we're trying to solve our 
poor childcare system mm -hmm. through the schools when schools should be about learning, not just finding a place right. to put your kids for a few hours, right. even though that is important. Nice. But that is all everybody, like in my clinic right now, it's all anybody's talking about. Other parents is, what are we going to do? I, I, I'm not equipped to homeschool my child. I have to work. And I mean, that's a huge struggle for so many families. And I mean, there is honestly, looking at the school options, there really is no good option. Like they all are, are just, there's problems with each one of them. So it's, we're in a really difficult time right now. Final question. If you were to explain to voters and I'll just our listeners in this case, some of whom are undoubtedly voters, what really distinguishes you from your opponent? I mean, we know Democrats and Republicans, you know, there's some basic broad strokes that we might think about in terms of policy differences. But what do you want people to know that really distinguishes how you approach health and healthcare issues and maybe policy issues that are related from what Representative Jordan uh, has brought to the state house to date? The big difference to me really is the fact that I, I'm doing this because I really care. I really care about my community. I care about the issues that I'm seeing and I want them to be addressed. And I want to be a representative who, who shows up, who listens to the needs of the people in my community, who responds to them, who answers phone calls and emails, who comes to events, you know, if those happen again, um, you know, when they're invited to hear the concerns of a school district or a local government. Um, but really, I think that's a difference is that I am doing this because I want to make a difference and I want to make positive change for our, our district and our state. And that's why I'm running. And that's what I'm wanting is I want to build a better future for Ohio, for the kids in Ohio. And um, that's really why I'm here. Well, Dr. Morocco, thanks so much mm -hmm. for taking some time just to talk about these issues. And we're just trying to make sure that health and healthcare issues are unpacked as much as we possibly can yes. in thinking about the stakes of what's ahead. And good luck on the trail, whatever that means in 2020. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. My many thanks to Dr. Rachel Morocco for joining me on the show. You can read more about Dr. Morocco and her campaign at rachelmorocco.com. There is a little bit of complex spelling in there, so you can also find these links on our show notes. Speaking of show notes, you can find them on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org, under the podcast experience, and on our website. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show, follow us on Twitter at, at @prognosisohio, friend us on Facebook, and check out our new website. As always, we encourage you to reach out with your suggestions and your feedback, especially if there are candidates that you'd like to hear from as part of this series over the next few months. Thanks for listening and be well.